Welcome to Americana Quill, writer to writer. Please like and subscribe and tell a friend that likes to subscribe. Today, this man has a great book out titled Izuki. Although this is his debut, he's a contributor on other platforms and blogs with other fiction pieces. This book, Izuki, synopsis starts with an important tagline, when a life means the world there is no letting go. The book details the protagonist who is, who is Brooke as he travels on, the, on foot down a highway through the British Columbian wilderness, carrying with great care a paper doll he calls Izuki. A disaster has largely emptied the land of human presence, yet he fears he is being followed and by a night of strange aura burns in the sky, illuminating an early silent world. His uneasy solitude is broken when he encounters a frightened and unstable teen, Geoff, who bears the psychological scare of a warped, unbringing and horrific recent history, struggling from survival. Brooke recalls the event and decisions that have led him to this point, beginning year before when he was known as Michael. Bitter and alone, he moved to Japan, seeking reverence, revenge, excuse me, on the man he held accountable for destroying his brother's life unexpectedly. It was there he found friendship, love, and a sense of belonging that his life had long lacked until the target of his vendetta sought retribution with profound consequences, not only for Michael, but humanity itself. I want to thank um, our guests for coming on the show, Zach McDonald. How you doing? I'm doing great. Very nice to uh, finally talk to you after we've, uh, we've been chatting through emails. But, oh, absolutely. Uh, it's great to be face to face. Yeah, sorry, sorry for the for the, for the reading. I was, you know, trying to read far away from you. It's kind of hard on my eyes, I guess, this morning for me. And I know it's night for you. Not a problem. You got it. It's <laughs> it's, it's a big back cover blurb, <laughs> but uh, but you got it. <laughs> Thank you. So I guess let the audience know how are you doing in your side of the world during I guess this time of the pandemic. I guess will be my first question. Yeah, well, um, it's been a bit of a, it's been a roller coaster. Uh, I live over in Bangkok, Thailand, where I've been I've been working for years. And uh, up when the pandemic started, I was actually in the middle of it. So I was actually working uh, in, a, in a course. And then the pandemic hit, and I ran um, issues, had to over. My scheduling got very strange, but I made it through, uh, and I'm still here in Bangkok and just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with the world. I mean, I think we're all kind of wondering when the world's going to open back up again, uh, right. when we're going to be able to cross borders as an expat. I definitely, you know, very much watching kind of thing. I'm wondering when I can make it home and things like that. Um, so yeah, just something I'm keeping my eye on, but just getting by, like I think uh, many of us are. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, How about I guess yourself? Like, I'm doing all right. I'm just, you know, trying to stay bunkered down. Hopefully, our Wi-Fi, my Wi-Fi stays connected because I have a new job that I started, which I'm pretty much enjoying. So, just trying to balance that now with my writing is—it's not a challenge, but I know it will be soon. <laughs> so, eventually, I'm going to have to wake up even earlier just yeah. to get some things done on the writing side, but everything's been good. 
Can't complain. So what is your process for writing normally and what is it for penning Azuki? So uh, generally for writing, I, I mean, the first thing is, is timing. Uh, probably like most of us writers out here, I, I work a full-time job. Um, so the first thing is just finding that time. I don't always manage to keep to a, a clear schedule, but as much time as I can per week, I try to get at least a couple unbroken hours if I can um, to sit down and just go at it. Weekends are good for that. Um, I, I really, I really try to, you know, get that, get a, at least two or three unbroken hours is ideal for me if I can get that much to really get in the zone. Um, right. So, so getting stuff, you know, hammered out, that's definitely the first step. I'm really into like redrafting and, uh, like a, a lot of editing sometimes before I'm even finished, even a short story, as opposed to a novel before I'm even finished the story, I'll go back and start reading from the beginning to kind of get that lead up to where I was right when I left off and then jump back into it. Sometimes I sort of need that running start. Um, and same things with writing a, with writing a novel. I mean, of course, as you know, that's a much bigger process. Uh, right. You can't always just start reading at the beginning of your novel each time you sit down and get back up to where you were. But I sort of need a running start by reading maybe the last chapter I wrote or something. Right. Um, I don't always know for sure how the story or, you know, in this case for, for Itsuki, how it's going to end. Um, I usually have a, a rough idea. I've charted out the main beats in my mind, but often how I get there is kind of a surprise to myself too. You know, there's like certain yeah. points I want to hit, but, but how, you know, how I get there kind of new things arise. And sometimes those are great things. And sometimes they're things that I'll look back a few months later and I just, I got to trash them as much as I might've liked the way I worded something or, or as attached I am to it. Um, sometimes I just got to get rid of things that don't serve the story. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I can't say I just, sit down and hack out a, a full draft and, you know, give it a read through once after that right. and ready to go. It's, it's a, it's a patchwork process. It's, it's going back. It's, it's editing before it's editing early parts before I'm even finished the first draft. Uh, Eatsky was a really long process. That was years and years and years, but I write a lot of short stories too. And even with that, I kind of follow a similar, similar sort of process. It's, it's choppy. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard yeah. to get there to the, the final product, you know? So I was pronouncing it wrong. It's, it's, it, say it again for me. It's oh, yeah. So, so in that name, the, the U isn't pronounced. I don't expect anyone to know that, but it's. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not you. It's a, you know, it's a Japanese okay. name, but it, it's Itsuki. Itsuki. Yeah. Well, I really enjoy Itsuki. I've, I've read one of your books and you read something of mine that's coming out in the near future. But before we get into more of that, I definitely want to keep talking about your book because I found it very fascinating. And to your point about finding time, for me, it's like if I could write two hours a day when I'm in writing mode for like 30 days, I feel like I get a good bulk of my story. And from there, it's just pick little nuances of certain details of like not being in flow and understanding what's going to help structure the story better for the reader. So that's kind of what, what I do. Right, I get it. So kind of like writing for yourself first and then having to go back and, and tighten things up for, you know, for the purpose of the reader. Yeah. Right, because that's, that's when you keep the joy of when you don't see the success that, you, that we all dream of. 
I think that's yeah. what helps keep me going than me saying, I'm strictly doing it for them so I can go somewhere in life. <laughs> so that's kind of how it helps me um, to stay on the marathon that we're all pursuing. Uh, I'm just writing excellent until, until we're known by enough people, you know? Yeah. So that's that's kind of my, my process. Along with me having an outline. And for me, as long as I know my beginning and I know my end, I let like just the journey of my, my thoughts create the middle and how I get to what I wanted the ending to be somewhat. So I gotcha. Yeah. Kind of my process. And uh well for sure in your I, I guess we'll talk about that later, but in your in your upcoming book, uh the one that I got the, the sneak the sneak uh preview. Sneak of, peek, yeah. Is sneak peek, yeah. That's got a lot of it's got a lot of elements. I can tell you you knew where it was going. I know I could see you had to have had those beats planned out, but there's a lot of elements coming together in it. It's you know, but I guess we can get into that. Yeah. Um but when reading Eziki, I hope I'm still saying it. I'm probably saying it wrong still, but people, please know what I mean. <laughs> but reading, um, what stands out to me about your style is how colorful you made moments in the book. Although it was written the way I like to read and how I like to write is kind of direct to the point. I guess more like a, a male kind of way. I guess the writing is just more A, B, C, D. But you had certain moments of colorfulness that I thought was very beautiful and poignant. And um about especially about Michael or Brooke needing to accept the death of those they they cared about and the way you you wrote those moments you made the feeling um more cinematic than just perspective for me and and that's very hard to get I think from a from a novel because you're reading it you're not seeing it on film so you made me feel like I was reading like almost like a script of somewhat as far as how colorful you were and I could like see it so vividly that it was it was very amazing to me I'm really glad the, to hear that. Thank you. No, absolutely. And the best way for me to explain, it's like um, you wrote it certain parts in a way where it's like faith mixed with science. And it, it was just like, if you think about us now, like we know that there's a universe, but how, how far does the universe go? And you kind of like had your own elements of the way you played with that in certain moments. And I thought that was very, very beautiful that I don't think a lot of people could pull off. So like, I just wanted to give you your kudos on that because I'm sure that that's a lot of pace and thinking of how, how do I write this one moment here or these moments here to feel like that. So it, it was for sure. And well, but I really appreciate that those landed for you. So thank yeah. you for the, thank you for the comment. No, absolutely. I mean, it's true though, right? It's like well, a writer knows a writer, especially the moments of when they're writing for themselves and the moments of where it's like, these are not just the character thoughts, but these are actually my thoughts implanted in the character. You know, Absolutely. and I felt like that's that's what I got from some of those moments when you wrote like that. Oh, I'm really glad. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you could feel them like that because I can, I really, I, I really agree with you on that too about how, you know, there's moments when you're reading something and you can feel where the, the author was putting something of themselves into that moment or they really, you know, they're really deep into kind of describing something that that they're feeling or seeing in their mind really vividly and they want to convey that, you know, through the story. But at the same time, it's got to, it's got to sink for the reader too, you know, that right. it has to impact the reader the right way too. So I think it's absolutely, but it's something that the reader might just think, oh, that's a very thoughtful thought, but they don't, they probably don't understand. That's really like the reader hoping that somebody catches this one day, even if they don't remember yeah. the rest of the book, please hold on to this moment here kind of thing. You <laughs> exactly, know? yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. 
So does writing usually energize you or exhaust you, especially with this book, your first book, or the first book you at least released, I should say. Yeah, sure uh, it's definitely an energetic, I mean, it, it energizes me for sure. Um, if I've gotten a writing session done, even if it's an hour, mm-hmm. if, I, if I've gotten a writing session done, like I, I feel like picked up for the day, even if it's sometimes it's late at night, but you know, I, I feel kind of fulfilled and satisfied. I honestly, I, I start to get kind of anxious if this makes any sense when, when I go through like a, a few days or something, when I don't get to sit down and, and work on any of my projects or stories, <laughs> you know, if I go through a few days and you know, it happens, life happens, right? We can't always, can't always make it to the computer. Um, I start to feel kind of anxious because I'm just like, man, I'm, you know, I, I was really in the zone and I want to get back and keep making progress on this, even if it's just an hour of editing or something. And when I get that done, I, I feel fulfilled and relaxed. I'm like, okay, I'm still pushing forward on this project. So it's definitely, it's definitely an energizing thing for me. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yourself? You too? Um, for me, it, it energizes me, but like when you feel like you depleted yourself of all your energy, it's like that's when I, I realized I, I exhausted myself at some point. And I think that's why doing this podcast and just reading, become a, a fan of story again and not just trying to create my own. I think I'm getting the energy back. So like I feel like I, I depleted myself by writing so many stories during the pandemic. Yeah. Now I get a chance to kind of become a fan again, kind of read. Like I've set a goal for like, and I haven't been able to do that because I was so focused on writing that like you're only reading a lot of your own stuff and you only get better like like by reading, I think other people's books and then you, somehow it just makes you a better writer. So like right now I'm in the process of rediscovering that, reconnecting with just stories and just anything and everything. So yeah. at one point I felt truly exhausted. So like, I was like, you know, I gotta find ways because it's not that I don't like storytelling, but like if, when, it's hard to keep doing something you're not seeing the results. So it's like, yeah. let me find something to help me energize myself back into the space I need to be to, to perform again in, in the writing I space. You're just getting burned out. Yeah. yeah cause we, we, get, we gotta have a balance as writers, right? We, mm-hmm. we really need to, to keep, I, I, try to, I try to have like, I always have a book on the go. Um, you know, how regularly I'm picking it up is just down to, to time and what's going on. But um, I, I think it is important to keep that balance for the exact reason you said, because if we're just, if we're just reading what we wrote, we're kind of getting into this echo chamber of our own writing style and, and the way that we kind of start trying to illustrate ideas on the page. Mm-hmm. And every, whenever I'm reading, I'm always picking up like, like these cool ideas. And, and I especially love when I'm reading a book that's just popping ideas into my head, you know, and, and just hearing mm-hmm. other writing voices. Um, I think it helps, helps us diversify our own. Um, so these days I'm trying to read a lot of, uh, I'm trying to read more like indie, uh, self-published, small press writers, as opposed to just, you know, bookstore shelf. Books, right, absolutely. You know? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get more into that because there's so much good stuff out there. And and it's harder to find because, you know, you're not seeing the advertisements hit you on, on Amazon or something like that. And you might not right. read about it in the magazine. But I, I'm trying to get more into that because there's just this really rich world of, of writers and, you know, obviously more books than we could ever, like, get our hands on. But there's... No, absolutely. I feel like the indie author is just as good as those that are majorly published. It's just that 
we might not know how to brand ourselves to be popular enough to get those yeah. those looks. And I think that's what's the only thing that's holding a lot of us writers back. It's just finding a way to have the the quote unquote look to like get a major publisher to look at us. But other than that, I don't think the storytelling, I think in the authors that have some of my favorite stories, but it's like, you only have but so many resources. So then it's like about execution and, and different things like that, where is where I guess us as indies need to figure out, I guess, how to even out the playing field just a little bit more. But yeah, I agree with you. I'm trying to find more independent authors. I say that to say that for sure. So me finding you and now I know to keep looking for you for whenever you drop now, you know, like now it's like, I think the more people you get to kind of understand who the indie author and then if you like their first story, then you want to keep going to them. Absolutely. But it's hard if you have a bad taste in your mouth because of one person that might not have put everything that they can into it. And then therefore there's like certain things that might deter them like a, like I think in the authors, like there's gonna be a few editorial mistakes, but it can't be 50. If it's five or six, I think people can live with that. But when when it's past that, it's like you, you put a disdain in someone's mouth that's just an avid reader, and then they just it's blatant on the page. It's not even like a accidental typo, you know. So it's like you can't just release it just because you're you want to release something out to the world. It's like you still have to take certain steps and make sure those steps are taken care of. Absolutely. Yeah. It, I mean, it comes down to us, like, right. And it kind of ultimately it sort of comes down to us to make sure that, you know, it's as, it's as typo free and as editing error free as, as we can possibly make it. And yeah, I mean, as you catch all of it, you know, when we, when, when, you know, indies are competing against like these major, uh, you know, the, the right. Have these just, teams of editors behind them and things like that we need to right. do our best to kind of put out put out the best product we can and and, and read it kind of you know no absolutely i totally agree with you each other so definitely important no i cannot agree more um so how do you try to keep as an indie author, be original, but deliver what the authors might want. Oh, the readers, excuse me. So I'll deliver with that. Yeah. Um, well, I, I guess I'll, I'll kind of refer to, refer to Itsuki first, since that's, that was, that's my biggest project to date. Um, so when I started it, it was totally a story that I was telling for myself. And I would say throughout the entire writing of the first draft really um i was definitely like writing it for myself i was not thinking at all like is somebody else going to enjoy this but after i finished that first draft over the course of years i would actually leave this manuscript aside and i would work on other projects and stories and i would come back to it and i would completely redraft it and then a couple of years ago i sat down and i said you know what i'm gonna I'm going to bring this story up on like one window and I'm going to open another, I'm going to open another window with another word processor page and I'm going to read the story. I'm not going to change everything, but I need to like read it back to myself, like literally as I type it out again. And, and I did that. And that was the real process of seeing what was going to work for A reader's perspective or, or get into a reader's head and seeing what are they going to be able to 
connect with how much fluff the story, you know, that that's something that I really like, but which is just going to be this kind of like meaningless fluff, meaningless details. And I, and I right. had to start making the really hard cuts <laughs> and removing some of that stuff. And then I got it to, I got it shaped up to a point where I was like, okay, I need, you know, and then went over it and he, he gave me more points and he saw it fresh eyes and he's like, okay, here's my suggestions, you know, and, and I worked with him on that. And I think that's how it really got to the, the final product where it's something that, uh, you know, readers can connect with and the narrative structure is, is you know, tight enough right. to keep people engaged. So no, whether, whether it's, yeah, whether it's as, as, whether it's the most engaging thing it could be or whether it's as good as it could be, I'm not sure, but I was satisfied with it enough at the end to say, okay, pull the plug, gotta get this published. No, as a reader, as a re as me just reading and not thinking of, oh, as a, and a like just a, as a reader, I found it very entertaining. It was very easy to have the pages flow through. It wasn't, it didn't keep me bogged down trying to figure out what's happening, which I, which I, the only time if you, is if you don't read the back of the book and you're wondering who's Michael and who's Brooke, but you kind of explain that if you, if you read the synopsis. Other than that, it's like, it's, you know, it was, it was very seamless on how you were able to go back and forth like that. I found that very entertaining for sure. All right. Um, how many unpublished and half finished books do you have? <laughs> Well, uh, I have the first novel I ever wrote. Um, I wrote that between 12 and 10 years ago. Uh, once I finished it, I shouldn't say novel. It was a manuscript. Once I finished it and I, I read back over it a few months later after finishing it, I was like, what is this? It was kind of embarrassing, actually. I was just like, man, no one, no one can see this. I had, a couple, I had a couple of friends read it, but even then I was like, oh boy, what was I working on? So that was one. That's that's my novel that shall never be seen by by anyone else. Um, what, what was the genre within it, if you don't mind me asking? I guess well, it was it, it was literary fiction. I would call it. It wasn't you know it wasn't any particular genre like sci-fi or fantasy. It was sort of this. Oh, it's hard to describe. It was kind of like an alternate history story, not not the way you did it, which is like the correct way. But I kind of created this like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hope that's a spoiler alert but no 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 uh, not at all um but it, it was more like it was more like uh i created this kind of world that was sort of an anal like it was an, an analogous world and at the mm -hmm. same time an alternate history but in this kind of like cheesily done analogous world i i i won't quite get into the details of it but it it, it was like creating these analogous elements for everything that simply didn't need to be there. And I think part of it was because I just wasn't doing my research <laughs> to tell the story I could have. And then I, it was kind of emotional. It was, it, it was melodramatic. I mean, I was, I was a much younger guy when I wrote that. And, you know, when I read it back later, I was like, okay, this has to, this will stay on a hard drive forever. Do you think um, you would ever reconstruct it to make it what it needs to be? Maybe it doesn't have to be a full length novel, but maybe it can be a, um, like a novella. I write a few novellas a year and, and stuff, so. Well, I did. It would require a complete kind of reimagining and rewrite. However, uh, I have You have to recreate I the whole universe, is what you're trying to, I guess, tell yeah. everyone. Yeah. But I have drawn uh, short stories out of it 
like I've, okay. I've used certain chapters of it and I used them as kind of like a foundation to build a short story around it because I had some chapters that were kind of characters telling a story within the story. And I, I turned those into some, into uh, some short stories in the past. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I didn't get that out of it, but I don't regret writing it at all because I, I really firmly believe that no matter what you write, no matter if you, if you want to trash it at the end of the day, it's it's practice. It's it's honing your honing your writing skills and figuring out for yourself what works and what doesn't work. So I'm really happy I I took the time to write it, right. um, but it's not something I I'm gonna share. <laughs> I got um, you. I don't know. I'm in the belief that every book could be published. It's just finding the proper structure for the story. I don't think no story is a bad story, right? It's more of what can I take? What can I leave? What can I restructure it for it to be viewed by everyone else for me to feel satisfied? So that's why I'm more intrigued about this right now of like, how can we make this story come out to the world? <laughs> Although you're like, I'm never going to show this. It's like, no, maybe there's something a lot more there than you think. And that's why I guess I'm trying to pry for a little bit more details right now. So excuse me if that's how you're feeling. <laughs> you know what, 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 what I would have to do for it was I, I would have to do more research and set it back in our real world instead of this mm -hmm. kind of like, like this kind of, uh, I don't even know how to say it. This, this so, kind of lazy analysis can you, world. Can you tell me what, you said it was like prehistory. So what year is, uh, is like the decade or is it? It was, it was World War II. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, this is, okay, that would be a big reveal about what this was about. Um, I, I wrote this while I was uh, living in Japan. I, I lived and worked in Japan for two years, from mm -hmm. 2008 to 2010. And I wrote this while I was there. So I was really affected when I visited um, Hiroshima, um, you know, where, they, where the A-bombs were dropped. And I, I saw the memorials in the park, and I was really affected. So I decided to write this story. And the story itself was about a young man and a young woman, woman living in Hiroshima during wartime. And the, the atomic bomb is dropped and they are both, so there's like this whole kind of like love story between them, which is like one part of the book and they're meeting. Um, and, and so there's like a love story and then the atomic bomb is dropped and they're both killed in the blast. And then somehow I have this kind of like sort of this metaphysical storyline picks up where their souls kind of fuse and then are reborn the and that child I think it was Sadako Sakai I hope I'm not getting her name wrong she was the girl that made the paper cranes uh in that story she she had a degree at leukemia from patient poisoning uh, she was born shortly after the war. And so she's her childhood in the hospital making these paper cranes based on this Japanese legend that if you made a thought, your wish could come true. And she would wish to get better. Um, but instead of making it about that actual historical character, I made it this analogous character. It was just kind of a cop-out in, in a way. And... I made that character, she was like the reincarnated soul of the fusing of these two souls of this young man, man and woman who were, who were killed in the blast. So it got really metaphysical. And what happens was as that girl is in the hospital, uh, you know, fighting the cancer that was due to the radiation poisoning, she's having these flashbacks and these strangely vivid dreams that 
and that is how I told the story of the life of the young man and woman, because it's like her soul is having these dreams of its two separate parts um, before before the bombing. And so that was the story. And, and I, I guess there's a story there. Of course, I was throwing a lot of kind of metaphysical stuff and ended up mixing like reincarnation. And I'm, I'm you see, and, I'm fascinated uh, by that stuff. So but, for me, that's a joy. But I understand how that could be a lot for, okay. for the reader. <laughs> So, no, yeah, I, I've never, I've never actually like spoken <laughs> outside of a couple friends who were the original one about what it was about. But it maybe that core of a story. There's something I could, I could do with it and retell that core of a story. But I would need to set it in a in a much more historical, respectful framework rather than kind of making this sort of like alternate reality where there's this kind of like crane folding girl but she's not the one you've heard about it's another one you know and i, I kind of did this cop yeah. out because i was like geez i don't think i really know enough to actually write about her but i want to tell a story like this but i you know i want to use this 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 person that existed but make her a character and i didn't really know how to go about it so i think you i think i think you can still though because I think people try to change up too much of like what's already like set in stone in people's minds. But if you stick to that and then add your world on top of it, I think you have the, the story already. So instead of you keeping it maybe one girl, just an opinion, just a thought. And, and if you don't want me to take this out, we can take this out of the our interview. It's fine. No, no, go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm all to me, it. it's like it's like basic, um, like almost like a rom-com. Boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy wants girl back. So with that being said, Maybe the boy will get the boy's love or um, soul. Like a, a different boy character will get the the, um, the spirits of the soul boy, and the girl will get the spirits of the soul girl. Somehow they meet. Maybe they they make love for the first time or something, and like voila, like they 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 feel invigorated by these two souls meeting again on on a, on some type of level. And then when they disconnect, they don't understand how, and they try to talk it talk talk about yeah, the experiences to one another and that could yeah. be the rest of the story kind of they have like a memory of their of their past life and once right. they each other share figure out they knew each other before the uh before the bombing or before the war that's really mm -hmm. interesting you're right i mean there's a lot of there's a lot to play with right there's uh it's too much for you just to like let us sit inside the hard drive that's all i'm saying <laughs> yeah but i I, I like I like your encouragement though you like I, I appreciate your your point of view on that of that idea that like anything can kind of like be reworked or, or salvaged and not to it, granted that is more than a decade ago that, that was a uh, that was kind of like said and done before I even started writing eats right. years ago but but who knows but that's that's my that's my big um, that's my big work that was kind of unfinished and left to the side mm -hmm. um, I have a I have some story. I write short stories all the time, so you know I've got I've got plenty of them that I either just didn't feel like sending out to uh, you know to journals or magazines or or you know I wrote them and I was like it's it's cool for me. I don't think anyone else needs to see that one. I have ones like that. Um, I have a I have a manuscript right now for a collection of I've uh, I've spent years since I've been working here in, in um, different countries in East Asia. I've been, uh, I've been spending years writing uh, Asia-based short stories um, that they're set in different countries that I've lived in or, or traveled in. And I finally had enough that I, I put them together into a collection, uh, a nice. short story collection. 
not published yet. It's, it's a manuscript and I've, I've sent it out pretty recently um, to around the end of 2020. I started sending it out to some uh, presses just to see if there's any bites. Um, I, you know, that's down to the editors if they kind of connect with that or think, wow, a, a collection of short stories uh, based in Asia. A number of them have been published before in, in certain literary journals and, and magazines. So um, they have, they're not all uh, appearing for the first time in this, in this, uh, in this manuscript. Uh, they are out there, but I decided to put them all in one place. My favorite of them, I mean. And um, so that's something that I've got kind of floating out there in the, in the ether right now. I'll, I'll see if I get any bites for it. Um, I'm really cool with doing uh, self-publishing uh, for mm -hmm. that one as well, because it's just something that after years of kind of collecting these stories as I wrote them, I'm, I'm just happy to put it out there. So, no, but I thought I would just shop it out to some presses first and just see if there's any bites. Um, right. and, and yeah, and then there's other short stories that just kind of, you know, I they it's not that I don't like them, but I'll just write them. I'm like, I I'm happy I wrote this. I had a great time writing it, but I it doesn't need to really go anywhere. I, I throw a couple of them up on my, on my website, just for there. People can drop by and read. Um, right. Yeah. So what like is, that. what is your normal word count for your short stories? Like two to 4,000 words or? Uh, usually it, the ones in this collection are all over the place. Um, a couple of them are like short novellas, like just short of a novella. Um, uh -huh. I think they're like 60 some thousand words. Um, 60,000? Yeah, like 60,000. That's, that's a full novel. That ain't no novella. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't, I, it's kind of unclear, you know, what, what defines like a novella, a novel. Uh, well, so, they say novels are like 50,000 and more, but some novels, some people don't consider that a novel either way. So it depends on the editor. Oh, sorry, dude. It's not, sorry. It, my bad. It's sorry. It's not sixty thousand. I was thinking of the sorry the the length of the collection. Oh I, no, I that's meant, a yeah. sorry, sorry. I meant like uh, eighteen thousand. Eighteen thousand. Okay, yeah, that's a novella. Like sixteen to twenty thousand, twenty two thousand is considered like a, a novella. And yeah, so I was getting crossed up with like the, the total word count of this collection. It, it's somewhere mm -hmm. up around that. Um, but sorry. Yeah, some of the a couple of the stories are like I, I call them like sub novellas. I don't. They're not quite. When I look at them, I'm like, it's not quite a novella. It's like a really, really long short story. Um, yeah. There's a couple like that. Um, often, usually my short stories often go over 4,000 words. They okay. fall between four and 7,000 words, something like that. I've got a couple that are shorter. Um, part of that could be because I just, I might run my, run on too much. I might need to, to clip some of them a little bit Yeah. sometimes. But uh, yeah, they, they tend they tend to go up over four thousand words. I, okay. I like. I'm trying to do more short short stories, not short short, but like you know between under four thousand, sometimes under three thousand. I'm trying to do it like to get more precise and get a story out in, in less words because people are more likely to read that, you know. And they are, yeah. And, That's why and, I. Yeah, sorry. No, sorry, go ahead. That's why I try to write, since I'm doing everything so by myself, independent, without any press or anything, is like I try to write books. Besides the one you've read, I've always tried to write purposely 25 to maybe 40,000 words. I don't try to go over that necessarily just because as an independent author, you only got so much time to impress them. So I want to like dig into like deeper parts of the story and not give them certain things that I could, I knew I could have just not written. But if I want to show up I'm a writer, I probably would write more. But like, 
I just care about the story being out there and telling it as precise and as beautiful as possible that I purposely try to condense it to 25, 35,000 words most of the time on my stories. Yeah. And it's, it's hard too, right? I mean, like it's, sometimes you... Uh, mm -hmm. It's hard, but it's also like, it saves money. Like, let's be honest, because when you take it to an editor, if they're doing it by word count, you know, all that stuff plays a part of why some books don't get published by people, right? Yeah. So. Absolutely. And I, I don't know if you, if, uh, do you write short stories, by the way? Just, I didn't ask. Um, no, not, I mean, I'm sure I have once or twice thinking, oh, I could do a collection, and, but then it's like, I get stuck with like story six and then it's like, all right, let me just go back to <laughs> right. a, well, a short, say, a short story say, for books or whatever, but yeah, sorry. Well, yeah, just when you, when you're kind of shopping around your short stories out to like literary journals and, and lit mags, um, the, the word counts are a big thing because a lot of them don't want don't want stories submitted to them that are more than three thousand words. They all, they're all different. Some you know some will have a four thousand word cap, five thousand word. It can it can go up to like about you know seven thousand. When you're getting above that, it's really hard to find a, a journal that wants to publish longer than that. You know, it's, right? Um, because it that takes a lot of reading time and editing time on their end. Uh, it's going to look really long online. And, and I get it too, because most of those are, those are really often online journals, right? And they know that when people open their phone and they're reading a story, like that's, you know, sometimes they're going to scroll down to the bottom. How long is this before I start? <laughs> you know, And if right. it's like oh, 6,000 words, they're going to be like, ah, I just won't bother. I, I, I think it's probably something, something of that element. So, you know. Kind of same thing with the novels, just like you mentioned, right? If you want people to see the story, sometimes you're going to have to make it kind of uh, more punchy and, and shorter to make sure that people are going to get through it, and you know, and have yeah, the story delivered. Because you, you need to make sure it feels like a page turner, especially as an indie author. They're not going to give you the respect of, of you being from a major publisher to give you the time to like work out the little kinks. The best thing you could get as an indie author is saying, I wish there was more. Cause that means they'll come back for something else of yours when they say yes. it's a good story and they leave it at that it's not guaranteed that they might come back if it's too much for them yeah so Absolutely. that's what i've what i've realized so just as some thoughts to throw out to the audience for sure um what else do you have any more unfinished stories or that's kind of like one of your oh something yeah. that you're working on now that you that you're prepping to, to publish outside of your yeah I do have a, I, I have my next novel that I'm working on right now. I'm about, I estimate I'm about halfway through the first draft. Um, just cause I've, I've pretty concisely charted out where it needs to go from where I am right now. And that makes mm -hmm. me think I'm about halfway through the, the length so far in terms of, you know, in terms of, but it's going to have to be pared down and cut down a lot after that. Right now I'm just really, there's just details all over the place. And, um, that novel is called Whale Bones, and it's set in my province in Canada, Nova Scotia, on the Atlantic coast. And uh, just um, it's set it's set in a, a struggling fishing community. Nova Scotia used to have a its industry was kind of like based on you know the fishing industry, forestry, and mining. And then wow. in the nineties, um, the stock uh, the, uh, sorry, the codfish stock collapsed and there was a moratorium placed by the government on cod fishing. And I mean, this is kind of, you know, Atlantic Canadian 
economic history, but basically that killed a lot of the fishing industry. And since that time, a lot of these traditional fishing communities have been slowly dying. And so as I was growing up, I, I, I'm not actually from a, a fishing community per se, but I'm from a small town. And, but growing up, you know, we, me and my family would drive out to the coast and go through these communities and you could see, you know, how people were fleeing from them and the populations were shrinking and, and, um, Anyway, so I wanted to, to write a story kind of about that, um, but ma to make it fun. It's not, it right. doesn't have the dark, the dark tones of Itsuki. Um, and so that's what I'm working on now. It's about a, a struggling fishing community and they find this immense rarity in their midst. They find this big skeleton, a fossil skeleton in their local cliff. And they decide that uh, it might be able to save the town uh, based on possible um, economic benefits they can get by having that monetary benefits if they're able to extract the skeleton. Um, so I kind of, I'm trying to kind of so, sort of create a town in this story. It's, it's a very different style from, uh, from Itsuki. It's a big departure from it, but yeah, I'm sort of creating this town and there's a lot of characters, probably more characters than someone's going to want to read. Some of them might have to go later, but right now for this first draft, I'm, I'm writing all of them. There's a ton of characters and it is a fictional town, but I'm kind of basing it on, you know, it's an amalgamation of all the small towns I've known, you know, throughout my life. And, um, and yeah, it's, I'm having a lot of fun writing it. it it's, it's a blast. It's some of it's outrageous, uh, you know, kind of over the top. It can be quirky. Uh, I'm trying to pack a lot into it and I'll see what I have when the first draft is finished. It's, it's going to be a long way before there's a finished product there, but I'm having a, I'm having a good time writing it. So that's something to, um, yeah, I guess watch out for, but it'll probably be, might be years down the road before it's really coming, coming. Well, out. I'm happy to hear about it. It sounds very interesting and I can't wait to read it when it does come out to the world for sure. So what was the hardest chapter for you to write on, um, Ezeki? Let me, let me cast my mind back to the, the hardest. And you could just give a quick premise if you don't remember like the number or whatever, but like, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, let me just, uh, I'm just going to put my mind back here to what was really the, the most difficult. Well, the, the scene where I don't want to give any big spoilers, but you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, mm -hmm. Um, Brooke and Jeff's confrontation with <laughs> with a person from Brooke's past in the in the forest. Um, yeah, that was that was a difficult scene to write because, well, there's a lot of stuff going on in that. There's a lot of stuff going on in that scene. A lot of stuff is is coming to a head, and you know it's. It's kind of important and critical because that's a real turning point for Brooke and, and Jeff's relationship. Um, it's Brooke confronting everything about, you know, everything about his past and his, his revenge mission and everything. And I really knew I had to, I, I just had to pull it off in the terms of the, the, the tension. I was really going for the tension. I was trying for some emotional payoff. I guess you could kind of consider that broken over two chapters, but it was sort of the same scene, right? Um, right. You know, I, I wanted to have the tension there and the emotional payoff. And I, you know, I wanted to show that I wanted to capture something in Brooke that wasn't just this vengeful person, but to do it in the, um, 
not to do it in a, uh, I wanted to do it in a, in, a, in a realistic way that kind of served the character of, of Brooke and, and make sure that you could see the, the compassion in him and, you know, not, not have him completely lose his humanity. And there was probably, if I go back now, you know, thinking about it, there was probably, there was a lot of rewriting that went on with that scene and it's not quite what it was when I, when I first started it, but yeah, it was quite, quite a bit went into that. That yeah. scene in general, yeah, from the time. No, I could, I could imagine. You kind of answered my other two questions. How long did it take for you to write Itsuki? Or Itsuki sorry. And what do you have coming next down the pipeline with, with your last previous question? So I guess, do you have any questions for me about the book you read of mine that I can answer that will help the audience yeah. and, and stuff? Um, I don't, I don't want to give uh, any spoilers away because it's, it's it, yeah, I don't yeah. think you want me to I mean, it, you. I wrote a whole book series, so it's not just this book. You only got the the first book of the series, so if you if it's if, it, if it's a little tidbit, it's fine. Okay. Well, be, since there's like there, okay, there's a lot going on in this book, which I which I thought was awesome, and it went in directions I I wasn't expecting because yes. uh, because well because when you sent me that when you sent me the manuscript, um, I I didn't have the you know what do you call it? like the back cover blurb right so i was kind of right. going into going into it cold and and so i didn't quite know what to expect but so i love that there's like this alternate alternative history or alternate history thing going on right. and and what you did with it so i guess my my first question for you is a pretty basic question but how did you get the idea to do and to start with an alternate history story and then and, bring it back to like present uh, day yeah, and and how'd you pick Medgar Evers like as, as that that figure? Well, I learned I learned about Medgar Evers when I used to go to a community center, and that's where I would learn like African American history like once a month on Saturdays, and that was like one of the first lessons I I learned was about him and how he he was truly like one of the bigger pieces that doesn't get talked about as big as like Martin Luther King on kind of revolutionizing right. the whole process of um integrating schools and beaches and, and just everything that's like public park that should be for everyone. He was like a big person, especially in like Mississippi, which is like a well-known love segregation kind of kind of state at that time. So, right. so just knowing a little bit of his history and just knowing that like he was very young when I look back now, when you're a kid, you think 30 something is, is, is a long lot. It's like, okay, he, he did a lot in his life, but he did it in such a short time. I wanted to Kind of speak on that and imagine what his life would have been especially since he actually did apply to go to like Ole Miss law school yeah. and was denied and he did that as a um as a protest because that's a public school so it's like why would he not be accepted if he had the proper requirements which he did so i just wanted to kind of play off those little bits of history that i did know and then kind of make it fictitious of him actually surviving his attempted assassination by the guy that actually did shoot him which is the character that i wrote a fiction character of who i wrote Right. Yeah. So I, I hope that other readers have this experience that, you know, when it, when it comes out that I did, because so, you know, full disclosure, I knew very little about Med Grevers. I, I recognized the name, mm -hmm. um, but, I, but, and, and I knew he was assassinated, but I went into it knowing that, right. I didn't know much else. So when, when there's the attempt, what turns out to be the attempt made on him in, in Jackson um, and then, 
the the doctor takes him into the hospital and he recovers and he, he goes up to goes up to law school to re represent himself in the trial which i thought was a really cool idea and then when it when it flips ahead to his great grandson at his funeral i was like wait a minute i thought this guy was assassinated i was waiting for like uh and then i started reading about him so i ended up learning about medgar evers right and i realized oh whoa wait that night in jackson mississippi that was like that's where the the timeline split right and i thought that was cool and i think other people are going to have yeah i hope other people kind of have that experience right I, ho I hope it's mind-blowing for them because it's like it's not about him dying it's just like let's see if he lived out his full life and what kind of came from that right if if, if now yeah. the family trade is let's be lawyers let me like let me change my you know, monkey see what monkey do kind of, not like that, but like you follow kind of the things you see in life of like your parents, like like of what you might want to be when you grow up. So I just figured yeah. let's like make that kind of a thing. You know, if like this person survived this, what would his life maybe have been? And yeah. and, and, and things like that. So and that's yeah, all that it was. Living right. in Malcolm. And I gotta say too, the way the way that you wrote the kind of your writing style for the for the part with uh Medgar. Uh, at the beginning of that novel, um, it continued when you when you took on to when it leaped up to Malcolm Evers' timeline, which was really mm -hmm. cool because it it made it look like because you you were like kind of talking about how how Medgar was feeling right and you were getting into his head during those you know during that part of the the book you know you were in his head you knew how he was feeling how you know him and his family. And so then when it jumped up to Malcolm and you were in Malcolm's head, it was, it was like reading about Malcolm as if he's like this, this real figure, you know, like, cause yeah. we know that Medgar really lived and you're, you're taking kind of your artistic license to get into his head. Um, and then because you're also doing that with Malcolm, it really made Malcolm feel like realistic. Like you're, you're also writing about someone who I actually had to look it up. I was like, I was like, did he have like, <laughs> you know, not that I know I, of. I, I, I try to make up that name originally, but hopefully, you know, nobody in his family has that name. <laughs> it worked. He sounded like a real, you know, it, it seemed like a very real person. And well, because, you know, you created this character who, you know, right. he comes off, he comes off the page as being, as being like this real person that you're writing about, right. but it's, it's from the alternate history. And, and I like this idea of, of starting in the past and then, the alternate history is where we are right now, but it's not like some, the, the world is like just so similar to what we have right now. It's not some like fantasy world where, you know, quantum timelines diverge or something like that. It's still, yeah. it's still our world, but in, you know, in that character of Malcolm Evers, we have someone that wouldn't be there and doing what he does without. Without uh, Megger maybe becoming a lawyer and having to go all the way up to Howard. So like, I just try to bring up things that were true, but things that were not, his yeah. life, his life, you know, and that helped keep it kind of yeah. on the straight, on the timeline path of being simple and, and keeping readers, I think, engaged and not feeling like what the hell just happened all, all the time. So yeah. I think that helped me a lot too, for sure. Totally. Okay. So my next question is uh, how, so knowing that you, that's how you kind of came up with um, how you chose to, to have Medgar and the alternative history. How did you choose to, because it's also, it's also kind of a, it's a crime story too. This is, it's like a. Yeah, a I, I was like, I was like, oh, people, people get this. Like, it's not going to stay here, but like, yeah, continue. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, because there's this crime, that crime thriller element to you. 
when you started writing it, I just kind of want to know about your process here. Mm -hmm. When you started writing the book and did you already know that it was going to have this sort of crime thriller element to it and crime solving element to it? Uh, did you know that from the beginning or did that kind of come along as like uh, extra motivation for Malcolm's character? How did that come to be? It really just started with me saying, I need Malcolm to be the greatest lawyer, but the, 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 but willing to do anything to solve a few things. And like with that, I think a lot of people call outside the lines, even if they think it's for justice, but it's like when you pull outside the lines, is it still justice or is it you really just breaking the law and you want to color it as something else? Gotcha. So that's kind of what it just came out of me when I first I thought, oh, okay, I'll have him solve this case and that's it. But then it's like these ideas of maybe Malcolm losing someone, Malcolm having a problem with drinking a little bit that needs to get solved. Like, so th this certain thing started playing with the character of Malcolm of making him whole and not just the amazing superhero that everybody might want him to be. And then that's it. I wanted to, to add more color to him so I can prolong the story into other books. And I think this like builds those foundations kind of. Right. I was going to bring up, you just mentioned the, the drinking thing and I was going to bring that up because that something I really liked about what that added to his character was that he's, he's fighting so hard for, uh, for the guy he's defending in court, the young guy he's defending in court. He's fighting so hard for that guy and he's fighting this, hidden battle and he's kind of concealing that from you know from everybody except his, his therapist mm -hmm. uh but he's he's hiding that battle from his his legal his team you know everyone he's working with and i i just i like that idea that he he's like this he's he's a he's kind of this larger than life figure to the team that he's working with like they all look up to him because he's a great lawyer and he, he does anything to stand up for justice and defend defend his clients but he's like in his private life like he's a he's a really broken man <laughs> right, <laughs> right absolutely yeah um so i like that dual element to the character i mean obviously it made me respect the character even more because mm. he's not just like uh kind of this flawlessly great lawyer like hotshot lawyer like he's got some real issues and also right. i don't want to i'm not going to give like a too much of a hard spoiler here, but the fact that those issues stem from what creates that crime thriller element and, and that and that crime solving mystery too. Right. Um, yeah. And the way it finishes off, I'm glad you mentioned that this is like the first part of a series because yeah, that ending, I'm not going to say anything into the, <laughs> on the yeah. podcast, but whoa. <laughs> so yeah, the second book starts off from there and goes into whatever needs to happen to... to deal with that and then it just keeps going up until i have as a five book series but the thing i chose to do which is probably why i'm exhausted now i'm trying to release all four four of the five books in november whoa okay like a netflix series of books like i just want people to know that month you can buy all the books read them all and then you're yeah. gonna have to wait some time but at least you could say <laughs> i did not keep you guys hanging for two or three years waiting for me to finish out the next process so like all I, yeah, I was so energized when I figured that it's like I cracked my own code because I never wrote a, a fiction book, a, a crime fiction book at all. Like this is my first attempt. And for it to, even if there's certain elements that aren't quite true, it's like it's creative license at this point. So it just felt good to like, it felt so good to me. The few people that they were like, is there more? I was like, there is. Read this one. 
And, yeah. you know, and for them to be engaged the way they were, I was like, okay, I got something. And I think that's why I want to take a break after these books and solely focus 2021 and 2022, really, on just promoting myself. Because these books, I don't, th that book series, I can't let go to waste by just me putting it out and not doing everything I can to help it grow. So, so, so yeah. And the marketing and fun, fun stuff. Right. So right now I'm releasing whatever books are in my hard drive that is just frustrating me because I don't, I don't, I want it all to be out there. But yes, Malcolm Evers, I guess is like the big, like I want to start doing only series now. And this is like yeah. my first attempt at ever even trying to. So therefore, it's like, let me let people know, like, this is now the lane I'm stepping into. Like, I gave out everything I could as, like, my one-off books that I felt, like, were, like, impactful and meaningful to me. Now it's like, let me do stuff for me, but that's, like, dedicated to those readers that love crime fiction. So, and, and fiction in general. But, yeah. I hope I answered your question. I feel like I'm running all over the place. Sorry. No, no, no not at all. There's, hey, <laughs> we're writers. <laughs> <laughs> we, we get it all out there first, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, is um, I guess the character of of Malcolm is going to persist through the through the full series, right? And yes, well, is, yes. I'm sorry. Let me because I want to make sure I say this right to make sure I'm not leading misleading people. Malcolm is the main protagonist, but then there's other people that are important, like Neo, which is like kind of like his his bruiser enforcer, but like former like army veteran kind of that no one knows about which service he kind of was in and the reason why i need neo is because like in the movie they call him like he's the one like if you want to do anything bad you call neo with you to do the, the bad things to like make justice prevail in your favor that's kind of like his character he's and then, <laughs> yeah basically he's like he's that guy so like i, I have those elements in the story and they all they all come through for like the next four or five books but okay. then I have a spinoff called um, from this with a female protagonist after the, in the fifth book, which would be called Malcolm Evers, Agent Wallace, and the Great Book, and that's them trying to solve something together as a team. But then I'll do a spinoff of like the woman doing like a three book series with her. So okay, I'm trying to create a bigger world of this. So yeah, yeah. it's 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 like a whole fictional universe kind right. of thing that you're building. And yeah. just enjoying like Tom Clancy books, I guess, gave me the idea of like, let me try to see if I can dig my teeth into fiction. I, yeah. Although I never read any of his books, like you hear his name and it's always with this one character solving all these crimes, right? Jack Ryan. Right. I believe right, yeah. is, is, is him. So like, it was like, all right, let me pick out somebody, but let me make people more emotionally invested by knowing true history of someone that was very impactful. And imagine if he lived a full life and was able to pass some knowledge down, more knowledge down, I should say. So that's kind of where that where that whole idea started from, like making this the center focus and then letting him just run wild kind of in this universe. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's a cool idea, like of how if, if Medgar had lived, this is this whole kind of universe that would have branched off of that, like, and, and you know, it would, and it would be kind of coexisting with us in our reality, in our reality, in right. a sense. Yeah, the idea. So what's your... Did I answer that question or did I not answer it? I want to make sure I answered your question. Yeah, no, okay. yeah, it answered it. Yeah, well, I was just, because I know definitely it's going to be picking up in the next book with Malcolm. I was just wondering if he was going to continue on through it, but, and I, I get it, that there'll be the other, the other characters kind of coming in too and taking, 
prominent positions as well. So what's your, because uh, you kind of asked me earlier, but I'm curious about you too, and I, I always ask writers this, what's your, your general process for, for getting a book done? Like, how do you, how do you carve out that time? And yeah, how, like when you just, when you just take your new book and you're like, you want to get it out, get it out on the page. Um, do you do a lot of stopping and starting? Do you write the whole first draft first, just, you know, flat out and then go back and edit? What's your, what's your way? For me, it's like all about letting it, letting it flow first. It, have an outline, but letting it flow within the outline. So like, yeah. so I, I usually write out an outline, especially for the, these books, the crime fiction. I knew my beginning and my ending of the first book kind of. But like, how do I like keep it going? Kind of was like my thought while writing and letting it all flow. Like I knew he had to solve a case as showing him as a traditional lawyer, but like, what is his backstory? Why does he drink, right? It's like, I had to answer that question and he drinks because of the loss of his fiance. I won't say how, but he loses a love in his life. So it's like those things kind of plays a part in what I can now do for two, three and four. So it's like, I try to write these like, like, TV series, this one is especially because it's like I also write screenwriting. I do screenwriting. So I understand that there's a big, like you have like A, B, C, and D stories, but like A is like for the general, the whole book. B might be like something that can jump into like a season two. C would be like the small little things of like other characters and their storylines. And then D is like chapter by chapter of making sure it flows to get back to A. So I kind of try to use that kind of thought process while um, creating this series in particular, because that's the only way I feel like I was able to like keep it simple enough in my own mind to like write it. And I wrote these books, I want to say one every month, so like 30 days, it took me to write this book. Okay. So like, yeah, it took me about four months. So like every month I wrote a new book of the first four. Whoa, yeah, you, you're, you're pounding them out. That's great. Right, at least the first dress. And then I go back and, and fix out certain nuances and make things make a little bit more sense. To yeah. like, because, you know, it was many more typos than you might have seen before I take it back to another editor. But like, just those moments of just letting it flow is more important to me than me stopping and going. Because I knew the story I wanted to tell because I, I just wanted it to flow for me first. And then I can fix things because... I feel like I don't change much in my second draft and me already knowing that about my writing process like let me just let it all flow out and I'll fix the things that need to be fixed because I'm not naturally a, I might want to fix like things that are wrong as far as typo but as far as the story goes I don't really change much after my first draft so it's like let me not focus on that and just let it all all pour it all out in this first draft and then from there I'll find little things to make it more symbolic and more beautiful in moments and, and that's kind of what I did. Sure. Yeah. Cause you get your beats, you get your beats outlined, uh, mm -hmm. the main things you get throughout it. When you're, is it all right if I ask another yeah, question? Absolutely. So when you're in the middle of, you know, when you're kind of going through, like you just mentioned, putting out those, like kind of getting those drafts done in a, in a matter of months, when you're like heavy into the writing process, do you, do you like have people around you that you're talking about the story to like coworkers, family, friends, or do you kind of be, are you kind of getting that out in, in a vacuum? I'm just wondering, cause everyone's, you know, different with this. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I simply just write it out all out. And then I, I give it to the few trusted people like, Hey, tell me what you think. But as long as I care what it thinks is going out. Right. Yeah, that yeah, doesn't, yeah. 
but like I, the people I value that I, I, I love them enough to like let them give me their opinion first is who I give it to first. Yeah. So it's like, I, I, I call it the people you write for, whether you know it or not. So the two people I try to write for is my wife and my mom. So it's like, yeah. if they enjoy it, I'm good to go. Like no matter what the reviews are, I know I told a good story because they're avid readers and they'll let me know, hey, this this part, I, I don't know if, if it needs to be here. This might be a little too vulgar. Like, can you switch this up a little bit? Um, I, I'll take that into consideration because I know they truly are readers and I just critique and just a critique. Like they love to read books. So like, yeah. and I want them to be happy about my work. So those two are the only people I truly try to write for. And those are the two people I send it to. After that, it's like, everything, everything's good for me. Yeah. yeah I, what about you? Do you have people you write for that you like, like if they're yeah, impressed, I, it makes me feel good and, and I can live with myself no matter what the results are. Yeah, I, I I often have someone in the in the back of my mind when and I'm like, man, they're gonna sometimes it's not even for the whole thing, but like some like a scene or a chapter, like I'm like, oh man, someone's jaw's gonna drop when they <laughs> you know, when they read this shocking scene. Right. <laughs> sometimes, you know, sometimes it's kind of broken up throughout the book or but uh the full story, yeah. I I have a, you know, I, I have a collection of people who are close to me that, you know, I, I keep in mind and you know, I hope they're going to read it when it comes out, <laughs> you know, things like that. And right. yeah. And, um, yeah. Well, I get, I give them my voice drafts. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I give them my voice drafts. It's more of like, let them see it. And if they think it's good, then it's good for me to put out. If it's not good, why is it not good? And if they have a valid reason, then it's yeah. like, okay, I could see that. Cause I was thinking that too. So then yeah. I'll, I'll make those small adjustments in like my third draft before I take it to editors and things like that. That's good, yeah. I think it, it's important, that, it's definitely important to have those people in your life for sure. Yeah. It helps, It helps. I think when you, just to, you know, the emotional content of a story too, like I find it's important to have, you know, at least a, a couple people, one or two people at least, and for, uh, for you, your wife and your, your mother, like just to have a couple people in mind that you want, you kind of imagining how that's going to emotionally resonate with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I don't know if you do this. I definitely do this too. I kind of, I sort of like build in my imagination, the kind of reader that I think will enjoy some particular thing that I'm, I'm writing. Right. And absolutely. Maybe they'll never see it. They might, they might never get exposed to that story or that book, but I, I sometimes kind of have this kind of persona or, or group of people in my mind that I'm they, they, like, I feel like they're going to connect with this story. Like, and I'm kind of writing it for them, even if I don't know them, if that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely. Same here. I, I agree with that. It's just, you know, to to emotionally put something, give something to people, like, before anyone else reads it, I give it to them because I know they mean well, regardless if they like the story or not, even though they'll tell me the truth. But I know it's not from, like, a, a jealous standpoint. It's just, hey, do I like it or do I not like it kind of thing. And I've gotten them to say certain things they don't like about my books. And it's like, okay. All right. But. Yeah. Hey, yeah, it's, it's honest feedback it's good it's good yeah, it's but you know when you're in artist mode or writing mode it's you know you're sensitive to certain people so it's like you might as well give it to the people you care about that know they mean well whether you like to hear it or not yeah so that's that's kind of i guess my thoughts on that how long have you been when did you have you kind of been writing your whole life or did you get into it as a teenager or people people Sorry, people say that I do. I've been writing my whole life, but I don't remember that. I only remember like when I decided to want to write a book when I was like 23. 
Okay. But maybe it was something that was always in me in little moments. My friend, my parents would see that, like, oh, he, he likes to write. Like, like I guess I used to always have a pen and paper and used to jot things down, but oh, okay. I never thought I, I always would like imagine things in my head, like different what ifs, like different yeah. possible stories, but I never thought I would write them down. So like, after reading Paola Coelho, um, The Alchemist, it was written so simple. I was like, maybe I could write a book. Although I thought his, his, but it was so beautiful and impactful and everything, but it was like, it's so simplistic. A lot of the books I always enjoyed were like books from high school that were very written simple, but such moral compass stories. So it was like, maybe I should start off trying to write those type of books because those were what I resonated with. So my first few books, I liked that. And then from there, it's like, how do I not get stuck in this genre before it's too late one day if I if I write the one book and that's all people want from me? So that that's when I started diversifying into like, different fictions of crime and different things like that. And like rom-coms and things like that right. that's now coming out. Yeah, it's, I mean, that sounds like a good idea to, to try out different genres too, right? And just see what see what works for you, see what works for a, uh, you know, a potential audience, different people right. are gonna get attracted to the books, yeah. Yeah, but for, for me, it's like, I wanna be the best storyteller I can be and maybe one of the best ever when it's all said and done somehow. <laughs> So it's like, I don't want to just stay in one one box, right? It's like, I want to show that if I wanted to, I could do a little bit of everything. So I think my goal is to release all these books independent. And then when I get the one book that everyone wants, have them buy my back catalog so it can reach a larger audience. So that's kind of like the game I'm playing, like the long game. That makes total sense. Yeah. 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 I completely see what you're doing there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I, I kind of think actually you're more prolific than I am because I know you have a, you've, you've got a, you've got several books out. Actually, I want to read Cancer in the Lottery. That's going to be the next one I'm going to. Oh, gonna, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, it's actually two parts of that. So I need to send you both links because some reason Amazon, I use a press, uh, I use the author press. For some reason, the links don't link up right with Amazon. So I'm going to send you two separate links. So, you know, part two, oh, part one and then part two. Got you, yeah, because I saw Ali's Way and the, the Last Letters. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's part two. And then the other book is the first one. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, so, yeah, anyway, there's, there's more to that. Like, I want to I wanna jump into more of your, your books. No, I appreciate I that. Thank you. Uh, but I had, like, you know, I have a, I, I thought in a similar way, too, you know, I, you know, wow, I've just got my, my one out right now, but I, I do kind of think in those terms someday down the road, I don't know where I might have like, uh, you know, a book that gets really popular and it's selling a lot. And then people kind of be like, Hey, what else did this guy write? You know? And then I'll be like, well, there's this one from years ago. You know, go check it out. Right. You know? I think as, as in the, in the altered, you have to play the long game, but it's also about having a catalog, right? You can't become a fan of somebody off of one book. So you yeah. got to have more books out there for them to become a fan of you. And that's kind of what, at first I would just get frustrated. Like, how come I don't have enough people loving this book? I put so much into this book, but it's like, that's your ego talking of wanting it fast. And it's like, maybe this way will will work out more in, in the, in the end. Right. So it's like, let me yeah. just build catalog. So that's what this year is about. And that's why I'm releasing so many books, which is like seven books this year. So it's like, let me just build catalog. Cause all, all I need is one book right all you yeah. need is one book to do what you wanted to do and it and if you have the catalog enough people from that one book is going to sprinkle to every other book so that's kind of my thought process 
Definitely. You just reminded me of something I read kind of recently by Hugh Howie. Do you, do you know the wool? Tri- uh, it's, it's like a, it's a series, the wool series. It's a no. sci-fi post-apocalypse series. Well, anyway, it's the, the author is uh, Hugh Howie and he originally self-published this whole series and, and all of his books. And I, I went back and I read this blog post that he wrote back in, I think it was like 2014 or something. The Wool series is it, it's enjoyable, it's good. But anyway, he was writing that when he first put his first books out, self he was self-publishing, his dad said to him, Hey, you're just you're just writing your next book right now. Why aren't you putting your time and effort into like marketing what you have out? And and Hugh Howie said to him, like, you know, Dad, I've got my whole life to market these books, but I have like a shorter window to actually write them, you know write as much mm. as I can. And I think he meant, you know, while, while his mind is still sharp and his creative right. juice is flowing, he's like, my time is limited to get all these written and I can, and then I have my whole life to, to market them. And that really stuck with me. And I was like, whoa, you know, I just, I just read that a couple of months ago and I was like, mm, I get it. <laughs> I see what he's saying. No, no, no. I totally get it. Especially now that I'm trying to take like the, the Kobe Bryant slash, Nipsey Hustle approach, which is just, it's a marathon, right? It's like, you got to just take your time and just go for it. So it's like, I can't be focused on the results of this one book if I if I know I can write, if I have 50 more books in me. So it's like, let me get 45 out and then maybe, all right, let's see if I can promote these, right? So now that I'm about to have 14 books out, let's now start maybe trying to market this one series and see if it has a trickle effect like I want now that I'm doing a series. Yeah. So I think as indie authors, a book series does much more for you than I think standalone, unfortunately. Because I love okay, standalone yeah. books, but it seems like the ones I see that get the most views and, and reviews are book series. So it's like, all right, that's the game to play. Let's play that game. Right. Oh, that, and, like, and as you mentioned, um, you're going to try to put out the next four books in, in the Malcolm Everest crime series, right, by November. So it makes sense, right? Because when people... It's probably, you mentioned Netflix earlier, right? Netflix just throws the whole season up on, online now because I think people, you know, chances are if someone looks and they're like, okay, the first two books of this series are out, but who knows if it'll ever get finished, right? They might be hesitant to even bother starting because they're like, you know, I don't know when I can actually finish the story. I don't want to get into it in the first place. Right. That's kind of what you're going for, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. People are like that with, you know, Game of Thrones. <laughs> right. They'll, they'll well, wait till they know it's the final yeah. season just to watch the first seven. Like, people are like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and even the book series, because George R. R. Martin has not done um, Winds of Winter, you know, the, mm-hmm. the sixth book. So no one's even sure if he's ever going to finish the entire series now. He's got two books to go, Winds of Winter and Dream of Spring. And now people are like, man, like... <laughs> Like, is it like, are we actually going to know his ending to the story as opposed to the show's ending? Right. You know? Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. That's, that's kind of it really when it comes to like my thought processes on that. That's awesome. Cool. It's, it's really, it's, I really like talking to other writers because of this, because I just, I like hearing about how other people are going about it, how you're putting your books out there. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I know too, marketing is the, you know, marketing is- It's the kryptonite. (laughs) Just getting, you know, just getting, getting our names out there. It's, 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 it's a hurt. There's a lot of hurdles to it. I know, and I know all, 
all indie authors and, you know, we're all kind of talking about this and, and we're all kind of on our separate but similar paths, you know? Oh, absolutely. Of- and hopefully this podcast grows enough where a lot of indie authors get love and light and, you know, a lot of people support us from doing these shows and yeah. your books will pick up. But it's, you know, even this is a numbers game. So it's like about staying consistent with these things and trying to yeah. build it up to, to be something special. So I totally, totally get you. Yeah, definitely. But and yeah, like you said too, you just need one to one to really take off and just get your name out there and get people wanting to to read right. more. And but sometimes it means nothing if you have nothing else, right? Especially if you're not going to always get that major support. So it's like I'd rather do it this way, knowing that one day I'm I have confidence in my own writing ability and my own storytelling that one will go. Yeah, I'm sure you have the yeah. same, right? So it's like. You got to have the catalog though to keep them there. If not, they're going to find someone else to, to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Got to have yeah. something for them to, to check out. Yeah. You, like you said too before, you can't just keep them, you know, I, I take really long <laughs> with writing projects. You know, I take a long time and I can see, I can see the, you know, the downside of that for sure is, as you mentioned before, people are like, man, how many years am I going to have to wait for, you know, for this guy to do something else? <laughs> Right. You know, and then like they're gonna move on to someone else. So, yeah, it's a numbers game, time. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's just a little bit different when you're indie. But if you were a major publisher, you can take all the time you want because people will wait because they reached enough people where there's an expectancy, right? You're not playing with someone that just reads a book, enjoys the book, goes on to the next book. Like they they purposely went out for you instead of liking your title and trying to see who you are as an indie. So it's, yeah, right, it's different. And if you, I mean, if you're with one of those, you know, one of the big, the big five, one of the major houses or something too, you kind of know that because you, because by that time you're going to have a reliable agent, they're going to publish something by you before. When you put out something new, even if you take years and years and years to write it, you've got a pretty good chance that it's going to be, you know, lauded or pushed enough by your agent to, you know, get get back to where you were. that That marketing engine behind you, um, so, but you know, that's, you know, that may come, but, but who knows, but you know, we gotta, we gotta keep doing what we do because we love writing, right? Like, no, absolutely. Stuff we gotta do to be happy, so. Absolutely. And I think there's a way of doing it as an independent because there's people that make millions of dollars as an independent. It's just understanding their formula and finding out how you could do it for yourself and what works for you, right? So it's like, I'm still trying to figure that out myself, so. Yeah. Do you have any more questions before we wrap up? I think uh, I think that's everything I had on the tip of my tongue right now. Uh, yeah. I guess I probably will have to wrap it up because it's about a quarter to midnight here on this <laughs> side of the planet. <laughs> no, but this was such a joyful conversation. Honestly, thank you for um, yeah. For I really here. I really enjoyed it too. Great to great to finally chat with you. Uh, besides email, but you know, uh, absolutely. Really like getting in touch with you and just connecting on this on all this stuff. Yeah. So what I usually do to, to end the show is the quote of the week and then lyrics of the week from like a song since it's all writing. I like to try to promote any type of storytelling and writing. So quote of the week um, comes from J.D. Salinger from The Catch in the Rye. What really knocks me out is a book that when you're all done reading it, you wish the author that wrote it is a terrific friend of yours. And you could call him up on the phone whenever you felt like it. That doesn't happen much, though. And that's the quote he had, I guess, during the interview. And I thought that was very 
interesting because the first time I met you was through, um, I guess now a mutual friend of mine and yours is Nick. So yeah, him yeah. telling me about you and then me buying your book and actually doing the podcast, even before I started reading it, I was like, you're in the author. I want to read this book and we're going to have a good conversation. You were for it. And I appreciate that. And now I get to reach out to you on email and see how you're doing and then check up on, on, on what some of your new stories are and stuff. So I thought that was pretty cool. As yeah, a and likewise, yeah. And then Lyrics of the Week um, is a song by the game and Ed Sheeran called Roadside. And of course, it reminds me of the book of yours, Azuki or Itzy, because of the way they had to travel to find their salvation and away from the, the desolate area that you write about in the book, which is very detailing in, in how you wrote the story. So the chorus goes, I got lost on the roadside. Yeah, I lost my way. I give thanks to the Most High because he kept me safe. Hope to God that I don't die, so I pray. If I go, mama, don't cry. I was on the roadside. I was on the roadside. So those are the lyrics of the week um, dedicated to the book and the author, Zach McDonald. Um, thank you for doing this again. I greatly appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. My ple the pleasure is all mine. This has been Americana Quote, Writer to Writer. Please like and subscribe. Have a great day, guys.